0: Romans 5, 1 through 11, here we go, let's dive in. Uh, We've been in the book of Romans, Romans wrecks you in every, every way, Romans will wreck you, it will turn your life upside down the first couple of weeks as we've walked through this book of Romans, we have seen a church divided Jew and Gentile, the Jews were kicked out of Rome for five years, they came back and saw the churches that they started had been taken over by Gentiles and all of their liturgy had been kicked out, all of their custom all of their practices had been removed from those churches. So the Jews are mad at the Gentiles. The Gentiles are saying, you guys are stupid. We don't need any of your stuff. And here is the divide in the church. And Paul comes along, book of Romans, and he says, you're all a wreck every last one of you. He said, those of you that have a list of all the people that are sinners, that have no business being around you, you're just as sinful. You're just as self-righteous. You do the same things that they do. So Paul destroys everybody, and then he turns around and builds a case for justification. His case for justification is simply this. It has nothing to do with you. Jesus justified us by his death, burial, and resurrection, and we have entry into eternity and reconciliation with the Father, not by any works, not by anything that you can do, not by you being here today, not by you worshiping today, not by how much you read your Bible, how much scripture you memorize. All great things, those sanctify you, they don't justify you. You are justified by Jesus Christ, who freely gave you eternal life by his death, burial, and resurrection, rose, and through faith, we believe in Jesus. Now Paul gets to the good stuff. What does that actually mean? I am justified. I understand it's nothing that I can do. It is Christ who did it for me, and I have been justified with Christ. I am now in right relationship with the Father. I am righteous before him. I am right in his eyes. What does that actually mean For me, Romans 5, 1 through 11, Paul explains. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here's what that means that means if you're walking through suffering and you have joy, that means if you're walking through suffering and you have praise. That means if you're walking through suffering and you're still here and you're still worshiping and you're still walking with God, there is zero shame in that. In fact, that is the Holy Spirit translating God's love into your heart. The Holy Spirit is the translator of God's love into your heart. So he continues, verse six, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die For a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son... Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Skip Heitzig, who's a a great pastor, theologian, Bible scholar, uh, he says that this is the benefits package of the believer, if you want to know what your benefits package is from justification, this is what it is. I have a friend who I uh, just recently had lunch with and he hired his son uh, to work for him and his company and, and his son's working for his company and he's grooming his son to take over and then he said, uh, he says he's, he's paying his son $60,000 a year to, to work for him and to groom and take over and he said his son came and asked him to meet with him one day, sat down with him and he said, hey dad, um, I, I think I'm gonna leave. And he was like, What? What are you talking about? And he said, Yeah, I, I got an offer down uh, in another state, and they're gonna pay me $80,000 a year to go work for them, so uh, I'm gonna leave. And he said, Don't you think you wanna talk to me about that first? Like, don't you wanna have a conversation? And he said, Yeah. Son said, Sure. Can you pay me that much? And his dad, he's who well, I'm sitting here having lunch with, you. he said, I looked at this boy and I said, What's the benefits package? and he said my son looked at me and was like what do you mean i don't even i don't even know what you mean what are you what are you talking about they didn't mention a benefits package and he said, well, I don't know. He said, I pay for your truck. I pay for the maintenance on your truck. I pay your health insurance. I pay your, I pay your auto insurance. He said, I pay for your cell phone. I, I, I don't know. Maybe you ought to figure out what all the benefits are of being a part of working for me versus just chasing a number. And, and he said to his dad, he said, wow, let there be light, right? <laughs> he said, I never thought of it like that. I never considered that there was, a ben, there was a benefits plan that was part of this. I never gave it any mind that there were benefits beyond the initial salary that you're offering me that could add something to my life. That's, that's where Paul is headed here with this. He's saying, look, justification is your pay, and then there's a benefits package that goes along with this. How many of you know that there is far more benefits to your life, no, no. you go talking about Halloween and quoting a Satanist in church, and this is what happens, lights start flickering, right? And so how many of you know this, there are, there are greater benefits to your faith than a get out of hell free card? You know that, Right. There are greater benefits to your justification than I'm not going to hell. Praise God. There is the spirit of God that translates. Okay, this is getting weird. (laughs) This is getting weird, guys. Somebody tell me what's going on. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we love you. (laughs) Forgive me if I have frustrated you this morning. Let your spirit be in this place. Help us with any technical difficulties. Help us, Lord, to get it all sorted out. Meet with us. Speak to us clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, benefits package, right? As we are talking about, Paul gives the benefits package, Romans 5, 1 through 11, and he lays it out like this. There are three things that we rejoice about. If you caught them while we were reading through, he said, Number one, I want you to rejoice about this. Number two, I want you to rejoice about this. Number three, I want you to rejoice. In fact, Romans 5 1, it's because we are justified that we have these things to rejoice about. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified, okay? We get it. That means. Everything that we're about to cover is because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, to justify us and make us right with God. And by faith, freely through Jesus, we receive that justification, okay? So everything that we talk about from here on out is because we are justified. Here is the first one. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained peace. Access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. First of all, he says we have peace with God. That is different than the peace of God. He's not talking about the peace of God when you are hurting and you don't know the answer, you don't know what to do, and God's peace that transcends all understanding enters your heart and cares for you and comforts you. No, he's saying you have peace with God, the war is over. God's wrath has been satisfied. God's anger, you were an enemy of God by nature of sin before you received justification. After justification, you have peace with God. And he says, because of that peace, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I love Romans 8:18. 8, Paul says later, yet what we suffer now is nothing. Think about this, you who are suffering. We've talked about suffering. Because what we are suffering now is nothing. It is absolutely nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, So all of us who have, been, who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more like him as we are changed into his glorious Image, Paul is saying, because you are justified, you can rejoice in the glory of God. That you have a victorious God. You have a glorious God. You have a God that is greater than anything you could experience, anything that you could go through. He can satisfy you beyond anything that you can do to satisfy yourself. He is the glory, and we rejoice in that glory because we're justified. I remember when I was a freshman, actually when I, was, when I was a little kid, there was this guy who lived down the street. He was like four years older than I was, but we lived on the same street. So we played a lot together, became really good friends. And then you know how that goes. You go to school and he was in a different school than I was the whole time. And then I became a freshman and he was a senior and he was a stud. He was like captain of the wrestling team, captain of the football team. He was the quarterback, just a killer athlete, uh, really, really popular guy. And here I was, incoming freshman. And uh, by the way, this this is something that used to happen. I don't know that it happens anymore, but there was hazing of the freshmen. You know, for those of you who don't know what that is, that's where uh, really there's one day where all of the freshmen get initiated into whatever it may be, and it's just this big hazing, right? So we had to go through hazing, and our hazing as freshmen was, they called it running the shower. So in our locker room, there were these cinder block walls and there was one shower post in the middle. There was like eight showers around it. It was this kind of circle and you could climb up on the walls. And what would happen was all the upperclassmen would climb up onto the walls and they would make the freshmen run the shower. They'd turn all the showers on. They had shaving cream, soap, deodorant, all lunch meat, whatever they could find, right? And they just, as we had to run through there with our clothes on, they threw that stuff on us, right? So we just covered sudsy a mess. And I didn't have a change of clothes so I show up and it's first day of school and they're like hey football practice is over we're all in the locker room we shower and now it's like all right freshmen, time to run the showers I was like nope not me I'm not doing it they were like yeah 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 every freshman has to do it I'm like you guys can forget that I'm not going to be a part of it right so I'm over in the corner of the locker room and these a couple junior guys who came walking over and they were like hey run the showers freshman and I was like no sir like, not me. I'm not doing it. And they're like, oh, no, no. You will do it. We'll make you do it. And i well, let's give this a roll then, right? And right as all of this, they were coming over. They were going to carry me and throw me into the shower, right? Uh, Hunter, who was my friend, he walks around. He's senior. Big, big stud senior. He walks around. He looks around there, and he sees me arguing back and forth with him. And he says, hey. I was like, He <laughs> said, hey, Cunningham's with me. Leave him alone. And they just, Little puppies like, and I was like, "Good boys, because I was about to mess them, right?. But it was, it was Hunter's association with me that satisfied the wrath of other people. Not only that, Hunter was star quarterback and I backed him up my freshman year, never played a snap. Hunter led us to our first conference championship and after we won that conference championship, we all got patches for our jacket and Letterman bars and all of this stuff and I got one, not because I played but because I was backing up Hunter and I was associated with Hunter. You see, there is, a, there is an association that we have with Jesus that allows us to participate in his glory. There's an association through justification that allows you to rejoice. You have a reason to cheer. You have a reason to celebrate. You have, thank you. Because we are justified, we are in relationship with God, and we are righteous before God because of Jesus, we participate in that glory. We are glorious with him. We are victorious with him. It is part of the benefits package. Number two, this is a good one. The second thing we rejoice in. Number one, we rejoice in the glory of God. Number two, we rejoice in sufferings. Romans 5, 3 through 5. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There, uh, there was a book that was written. Who, who, where is, where's all my dog people at? Dogs, let me see you. Dog people, dog people, okay. Uh, cat people, where, where are cat people? Are you bold enough? To, oh, wow. Some of you shocked me. Some of you, I can see some of it, yeah, And then some of it, I'm like, whoa, really? All right, here we go. Um, well, this may not land well then. I didn't know we had so many cat people. Uh, there, was a <laughs> there was a book written called Dog and Cat Theology. It's it's a super interesting book. And here's the premise of the book. I have, I had, oh God rest her soul, uh, a golden retriever for 11 years, greatest animal on the face of the planet. And she was just the sweetest, most obedient dog in the world. I mean, she would always come and sit right at my feet and she'd wag her tail and sing her tongue and be so happy to see me, right? And I remember one time, I don't know what happened, I got busy in the morning, I left, I went about my day, I got caught up running errands and I came back home and it had been like 10 hours since I had let her out of her kennel. I just completely forgot. I felt horrible. I ran in there, had no food, had no water. I opened it up, runs out like a lightning bolt to the bathroom, comes running back and is sitting at my feet like, <laughs> like I love you so much. You're the best in the world. I'm like, I just left you and forgot to feed you. Like what is wrong with you? And yet this dog, it is like, it, it's just ingrained in her. She knows I and the master it's so funny right dogs see us as the master and they are our servant what can i do what can i do how can i help you and then there are cats cats you walk in the door and they're like oh you're home there's poop in the box i don't have enough food and my water's not fresh how about you take care of a few things and then maybe I'll let you scratch my back before I climb up on top of the entertainment center and sit there and watch you, right? Is that not cats? Even the, even the way they walk, they're like, cats look at you and they see servant and they think they're God and the entire world should revolve around them. And so this book takes the juxtaposition of the theology of a dog, I am servant, God is master, and the theology of the cat, I am master, God is my servant, and ask the question, which one are you? We know who the cat people are, <laughs> right? Here, here's what gets scary. We live in a culture that just thrives on cat theology. You are a God, make yourself God, and everything else exists to serve you. And if it doesn't serve you, suppress that truth, find a new narrative, and find something that will. And and here is the scary thing when it comes to this. For the first 700 years of church history, there was zero questioning of God. Something happened, and it was, we don't know what the gods are doing. Even polytheists, deists, monotheists, they would all, the mindset, okay, the cultural mind, I'm not saying nobody ever questioned God, I'm saying the cultural mindset was like you do not question God, but I don't know why this happened, we don't know why the gods have done that. Like there was zero questioning. The first seven, this is the book of Job. You read Job chapter one. Job is literally the wealthiest man in the land, has everything, his fields are burned up, all of his livestock are killed, and his children die in an accident. And listen to Job. He says, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. This is a man who lost everything. Everything in the series of one month. I'm talking wealth, family, house, everything was destroyed. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I don't want to leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. What is the sin when you're suffering? Blaming God. What is the sin when you're suffering? It's blaming God. Listen to Job 2 verse 10. So his wife comes to him and she says, Job, you're nuts, curse God and die. Like I'm tired of this, fix it. And here's what Job says, you talk like a foolish woman. (laughs) Should we accept, oh, listen to this question. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? Now listen to what scripture says. So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. In other words, Job was saying, I am not just going to praise God when things are good, but when things are bad, I'm going to praise him well. And scripture said, that's right, Job. That's right, Job. That's what we're going to do. And here's what happens today when we, when we make ourselves God, when we are God and everything else exists to serve us, including church, including my small group, including the pastor and everything else, when we are God and everything exists to serve us, what we do is we reject character growth. What did Paul say happens when we rejoice in suffering? We develop character. It was one of the things that he mentioned. So, when we reject suffering, we're rejecting character growth. What happens is we grow biologically, but we stall spiritually. So, you have, and this is a challenge we don't teach people how to suffer. We don't teach people how to suffer. We say run from suffering, act like it didn't happen, act like it doesn't exist, sweep it under the rug, and so you have a nine-year-old child who goes through something of suffering and we don't walk them through how to suffer and still praise God and walk with God. We just act like nothing is happening. We sweep it under the rug and we ignore it and all of a sudden they're 35 but they're still nine spiritually because no character growth has happened through suffering because we thought in our minds the only thing we should receive is good. But there is character growth that happens when we learn to suffer. The most mature people that I know, hear me, the maturest people I know spiritually are those who have suffered. They have suffered. They have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. They have experienced deep pain. Those are the people who have walked through that and have rejoiced And have thanked God and trusted God and walked with God through it, those are the most mature people I know. You have one of two choices in suffering. You can reject it or rejoice. You reject it and you push it away and you stall character growth, endurance, and hope, or you rejoice. And I'm not talking about naive, I'm just gonna celebrate everything. It's like, Lord. I am hurting right now, I'm lost, I'm broken, I don't know what to do, but I'm just gonna worship you. I'm just gonna praise you through this suffering. I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust you through this suffering when I don't know what to do because I am servant, I'm not master. I'm servant and I'm just going to trust you. And what does Paul say will happen? Three things, I'll, I'll run through them quick. Number one is endurance. That's a word that means single-mindedness. He says, when you rejoice through sufferings, you will become single-minded. You will become focused. You wanna know what's important to focus on? Ask somebody who's walking through hell right now. Ask somebody who's walking through a child with a chronic illness. Ask somebody who's been diagnosed with a life-threatening disease. Ask somebody who's been given 30 days to live. You wanna know what's most important? Those are the people that know how to put the cell phone down. Those are the people that know when to get off Instagram. Those are the people who know when to be fully present in relationship. Those are not the people coasting through day, just existing and not being engaged or walking with the Lord by the power of the Spirit and and living in in relationship with Him and with other people who follow Him. They have a single-minded focus, that's what Paul's saying. You rejoice through suffering, you will find out what's most important. Number two. Character. This means testedness. He's saying it's something you can only develop through experience. When you reject suffering, you don't get the experience to build your character. You don't get the experience to become a new person, to strengthen who you are. And then the last thing he says is hope. We reject suffering, we're rejecting hope. Because endurance builds character, and character, what did Paul say, builds hope. Hope and that hope will not shame us. You are not to be shamed if you're holding on to hope while suffering. You're to be celebrated. We should rejoice with you. We should wrap our arms around you and we should praise with you. We should pray with you. We should trust God with you. Why? Because you are walking through endurance, character growth, and hope. I uh, man, we we went through a time. We, we've suffered, right? Uh, And I've shared a little bit about this with you, but um, one of our children just had a medical diagnosis early on uh, that has there have been seasons where it has been suffering. It has just been so hard. And we have seen the miraculous hand of God do things through this child that is now doing things neurologists said they would never do. Right? The, the, it is painful to hear a neurologist tell you your child will never do this, but it is victorious to see them now do it, right? Uh, and, and so we've seen God do a great healing work, but it did not come without seasons of suffering. And I have a friend who uh, is in the same situation as a child in the same world. And so I was talking to him one day, and I said to him, I said, hey, man, just want you to know I, every time I pray for my child to be healed, I'm praying for your child to be healed too right? And he said to me, he said, you know, I love that. And he said, I pray for the exact same thing every day. I want the Lord to heal my child, to help my child and everything else. But he said, I want to ask you a question. Man, this, you talk about digging deep. He said, would you want to be the same man that you were before you had this child? He said, would you want to be that same man that you were before? (sighs) Heck no. No way. I would never, I would, I would never trade those seasons for anything. And I would not trade them, not because of the little victories along the way, right? Not when they defy the neurologist diagnosis or anything else. I wouldn't trade them because of the suffering that we've gone through. Because of the, the character growth that is happening because of seasons where I did not know what to do, literally did not know what to do, and had been up for 24 hours straight trying to make something work, laying outside of their room, praying and crying and asking God to intervene and feeling like I'm failing the entire time. That's where character is built. That's where endurance is built. That's where hope is. I have more endurance now. I have single-minded focus. I know what's important. I, I am a far different man for the better than before I had this child. And I know more now than ever the hope that we have in Jesus and why that's important. You can only do that when you are justified. Because when you are justified, you know your future. When you are justified, you know you're right with God. And when you know your right with God, you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. You can suffer and grow stronger. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying this is where we rejoice. We rejoice in these sufferings and we stand firm in these sufferings and we trust God in these sufferings and we don't act like cats in these sufferings, right? Cat people are leaving the church by the dozens. Last one. We rejoice in God's grace. I love this. He says, we rejoice in God's glory because we are justified. We rejoice in the glory of God. We rejoice when we go through suffering and we rejoice in God's grace. Romans 5, 6 through 8, he says, I broke this up into two. So I want to hit this first part. Verse says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, let this sink into your soul. Don't just read these words, receive them. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's amazing to think about. I was studying this last night and I asked Canaan, I said, Hey Bum. I said, would you die for me? He said, what? Right now? I said, no, dude. I said, but but would you? He's like, no, dad. And I said, I would die for you. And he said, I know, I know. And I said, well then, Bob, why wouldn't you die for me? And he said to me, well, because, Dad, if you died for me and then I died for you, then we would both be dead, and at least this way, one of us will be alive. <laughs> but really, I mean, would you die for somebody? The list is probably short, right? Some of you are like, I don't even need a pen, right? <laughs> don't even need a pen? I'm good. I know what I would do, right? Would, would somebody die for you? That's probably a shorter list, right? Some of you are like texting Dad, hey, are we still good? Like, Things, things still okay, Dad? <laughs> we still, we still, but the, the, Paul is saying here Jesus died for you when you wanted nothing to do with him. He died for you when you didn't love him. He, imagine not dying for somebody you love, imagine dying for somebody who hurt you deeply. Think of an abuser or someone who took advantage of you or someone who walked out on you or someone who picked on you for years or made middle school and high school horrible for you or a parent who called you terrible names or so. Think about the, he's saying Christ died for the ungodly. Not even for the righteous. He died for those who weren't even worthy of the death. That is why justification is so incredible. Jesus died for the worst version of us. And then he finishes five through, or 9 through 11. Since, therefore, we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were still enemies, or for if... While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice. This is our third rejoicing of being justified with Christ. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I am way out of time but the rest of chapter five, I have it outlined in your sermon notes, it is an example. Last week, what did Paul do? He talked about justification, then he used Abraham and David as examples. And he said, these are two from examples. This example is about Adam and Christ. And Paul says, Adam, the first Adam, your father, Adam, who let sin into the world and sinned, and now sin is translated to every man. The second Adam, which is Christ, came into the world and redeemed that sin so that we could be made right with God again. In fact, I'll just read you a a couple pieces from it. Romans 5.12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Romans 5:15, but there is great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many throughout this one man, Jesus Christ. Romans 5:20 20 through21 is so good. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Verse 21, so just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules, instead giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Question, finish here. Have you ever been locked out of somewhere that you desperately wanted to get into? (laughs) Right? Right? It's like the most frustrating thing in the world. We were flying back from Kansas City. Man, this was a long time ago, right? We only had Zion. We had Zion, and I think my mom was with us. And we were flying back from Kansas City, and we were flying Spirit. First mistake, right? <laughs> Gosh, what is up with Spirit Airlines, right? So we're on Spirit Airline. It gets delayed. The, the flight's at 6 a.m., so we're up at 4 a.m., so everyone's tired. we got a baby with us and everything. It's just miserable. We're worn out. It gets delayed until 10 a.m right? So now we're sitting in an airport for four hours. We're hungry, and worn out, tired, still in the terminal, can't go anywhere. Finally, we get on the plane. The plan lanes at IAH, they had to, because it was delayed, land us in a different terminal. It was the furthest terminal away from where we parked. So we had to walk two miles to the airport only to find out we should have taken a train because we can't get to the terminal where we're supposed to be. So we go down, we get on this train, we ride this train all the way to the parking lot. We get to the parking lot. I am annoyed, I am frustrated, I am angry, I am tired, I am hungry, and I'm walking through the parking lot. And as I'm walking, I have this thought in my mind, where are my car keys? Like, hold on, where am I? And I'm thinking, I'm like, my wife's going to kill me if we walk up to this car and I'm like, uh. so I'm just thinking in my mind, I'm racking my brain. I'm like, I don't know. So then we get up there and like, oh, we finally made it. Can't wait to be home and the rest. And I'm just like, yeah, just, you know, give me a second. Let me, uh, and I'm searching through my backpack. Can't find my keys anywhere. I open up my suitcase and I'm like, no, I, I, I know they're in here. We're, we're good. And I'm searching through my suitcase and I can't find them anywhere. And then all of a sudden I peek through the window of my truck and they're sitting Right there in the center console. Oh, you talk about mad. I was boiling. I was so mad. And I looked and I was like, I locked my keys in my truck. I can't get in here. We were sitting in that part. So then we start calling people. It's a Sunday morning. Everybody's in church, right? Can't get a hold of anyone. Finally, get a hold of someone who is our neighbor who I taught to break in. I, I literally walked him through how to break into our house. Not telling you, don't trust you. Halloween's around the corner. Um, so I walk him through, he breaks through literally after uh, the, the, I think it was the longest time of my life sitting there by that truck waiting. Seeing exactly what I needed. I was like, I'm gonna put a hoodie around my fist and bust my window out. I don't care how I'm I'm ready to get out of this place, right? It drove me crazy. That's what Paul is walking us through. He's saying, listen, you have tried your entire life. You've tried everything in your life and nothing has worked to get you where you want to be. But Jesus came down and Jesus is the key. He is the one who has justified you and made you right with God so that you can enter into where you need to be to be. And because of that, we rejoice in the glory of God. We rejoice in sufferings, and we rejoice in this wonderful grace.